0: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I forgot what the thing was there for a second. So I finally broke down. Um, I've got a billion and one subscriptions because, you know, I told you if you support the show, I'm going to do stuff and I do stuff. But the one thing I haven't done because I haven't really found the need to do it. There doesn't seem to be too many articles on there that don't say things that you can't find elsewhere. But there seems to be a pretty good article insightful article at PackersNews.com slash JSOnline, whatever it is, I don't know. And I'm like, all right, look, it's pretty cheap. You all pay me to get these kinds of things so that I can tell you stuff, so I just better do it. I have been trying for 15 minutes to get a subscription to this website, and I cannot do it. I tried it on Chrome. I tried it on the Microsoft thing, whatever that is, little swooshy wave thing. It will not work. So, if anybody at uh, Packers News slash JS Online is listening, I know that times are tough with the whole failing newspaper situation, and that stinks. If you want to be, you know, in less pain over what's going on right now, in other words, stop purging money and whatnot, fix your website, bruh. I mean, it just it just doesn't feel good. It's I could make a website where you could pay me money, and it would take me about a half hour because it's 2021 and everything is super simple and most things have gone online everything is online so all your competition has got a real smooth cool website the crazy thing is the error occurs right at the part where i pay you the money it's like here's all my information here's my money please take it from me oh we got an error what what error just take my money stupid there's no error this is this is the this is the information you need to take my money no error I promise it's fine it's good take it nope I don't I don't know we we're, st- we're, st- we're stuck here I don't know So they're not getting money I guess which stinks because you know you work hard and do good work should be rewarded for it but not today but here's the thing I guess I don't necessarily need to read the article because the other pro- the other problem that those people face over there, is that everybody and their brother just takes screenshots and like, oh, check this out, look what I found. And and it's nice and enticing, but it's like all the good parts I've already read. But I was, you know, I wanted to read it for myself and just take a look. But I guess that's fine. We'll just go off the screenshots. What I am referring to is an article that I believe was written by Tom Silverstein um, in regards to our new defensive coordinator. Some of this I had learned from Coach Hahn already when I talked to him about it. He didn't mention necessarily the Vic Fangio part, because that's somewhat irrelevant. He's just analyzing the scheme itself. But if I were to summarize all of this in kind of just two parts, I guess, and I think all of this will excite you, but maybe not. Essentially, the scheme, if we were to uh, overly generalize this, is Tampa 2. I'm feeling reservations even trying to explain it, but I, I will massively dumb it down. Not because you're dumb, but because I'm dumb. Essentially, Tampa 2, you, you, with the goal is sort of too high safety, right? That's kind of throwback. You know, you just got the two safeties up top, right? That's, you know, when you draw up what a defense looks like, you draw the two safeties up top, right? That's the goal, but the problem is offenses have gotten way too good at just t- picking that apart, right? We send one, you know, if we got three guys going down in the field, we're going to take one of your safeties over here, one of your safeties over there, and then this guy's going to be open. It's too easy to manipulate. So Tampa 2 just kind of runs a little wrinkle in there. Maybe we send a linebacker or something up into the middle so that when you split our safeties and think somebody's open we get an interception. Now that's not obviously every single play because if we know if if an offense knows what you're doing they're going to beat it. It's just a variant to keep you on your toes so that you don't think you just because it always looks like Tampa 2. It's kind of similar to what Matt LaFleur does. It always looks like one thing, but you don't actually know what it's going to be. The other kind of well the the other two main points. Number 1, is that the goal, apparently, is that Matt LaFleur was looking not for a Mike Pettin scheme, but for a Vic Fangio scheme, which should get us all excited because I have been doing, outside of the last couple days mentioning how I like Jack Del Rio, I have been talking about Vic Fangio basically since I started this podcast and how blown away I've been by Vic Fangio. And that started years ago when I went over on, on PFF and just looked at the defense and just saw every single player got better. I've never seen that in my life. It's the, It looked like stairs. In the second year, every player took a little step, and it's like, that never happens. And then in year three, every player took a third step, and it's like, what? what is this? They just kept getting better and better and better and better every single year. So that was, I mean, that has nothing to do with the scheme or anything like that. It's just, it, I was just blown away by Vic Fangio and have been a fan of his ever since. What are Matt LaFleur's um, reasons for wanting uh, Vic Fangio defense? I guess I don't know. That's That's for him to know, but it does fit more with his desire to be more aggressive. Now, like I said with defensive coordinator, it has risks. The risk of being more aggressive is you're going to get more three and outs. You're going to get more stops on first and second down, but you have more of a risk of getting beat deep. Whereas Pettin was, you're not going to beat us deep. You'll probably dink and dunk us to death down the field, but eventually you'll make a mistake and you're not going to beat us deep. right? You can only do so many underneath throws before you make a mistake and then we get the ball back. This is much more aggressive, much more attacking. Now, the keys to this, a couple things. One of them you've probably seen if you've been on Twitter and you've seen what everybody else has said. One of the keys to this style of defense is a absolute freak of an inside linebacker. Now, I have a feeling some Packer fans are going to get stuck on the idea, well, Packers will never draft or, or whatever an inside linebacker. I don't. As I've been saying, first of all, I don't think that's ever really been true. But if it's been true, it has to do with the fact that those other defensive coordinators didn't necessarily need them as much. The GM's job is to build the roster the way it needs to be built, and that's dependent on what the defense and the offense needs. And if this defensive coordinator says, my scheme demands an absolute freak of a linebacker, then that's what needs to happen. You think about the Chicago Bears. Now, I've been somewhat critical of Roquan Smith in terms of his abilities and being slightly overhyped, but the fact that they took an inside linebacker early in the first round, doesn't mean that's what the Bears like to do. That, that means that Vic Fangio said, that's what I need, end of conversation, not a debate. And in fact, some people are saying that it's not just one inside linebacker, you need two really good inside linebackers, which maybe, you look at Tampa Bay, you look at, uh, and I don't even know if that's what Tampa Bay runs, but you, know, you, you, you have teams with good linebackers, tend to have two really good linebackers. The Bears have two, Talented linebackers. Again, I think they might be slightly overrated, but even Minnesota, which I'm pretty sure they don't run Tampa 2, But still, it's like teams that have good linebackers or that covet linebackers tend to have two. Just a random observation that popped into my head this second. But you can quickly disregard it because I'm not saying that that's what we need. But I have heard that this defense does want that. The other um, aspect that I have not heard from this article but was mentioned a lot by... Coach Hawn is that another really important aspect is going to be the strong safety has to be very, very good. Now, I like our safeties, so I think that that's going to be solid. In other words, a critical piece we've already got. Well, is that Savage or is that uh, Amos? I don't know. Probably Amos. Who? I, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I guess we can try to see who had more. I'll look it up. Still pains me to come on PFF and sort this by best team and see Packers number one. PFF had the Packers as the best team in football. That just makes me sick. Tampa Bay was number two all right we're good that wasn't me being sick that was that was a rage noise all right so according to this and you know how they mark this down i don't know it's all kind of just they're wandering around but if you're in this area you're technically in the box which would be where the strong safety part is and actually they do actually mark out strong safety so we got savage here get out my handy dandy calculator 138 snaps pff designated as strong safety there were other inside-the-box designations, but he they called him a linebacker. So we'll just stick with strong safety and say 138. Adrian Amos, 165. So very similar. Amos gets a slight edge on that one. The one thing that I do think is interesting, when I before I came over to their actual snap counts, if you look at the designation uh, that they gave, Adrian Amos they put at free safety through week 13, which they just put their general position, free safety, strong safety, based on each game, Dependent on where they played generally. His designation through week 13, every week was free safety. Every week after that was strong safety. So it seems as though there was a switch. Let's go back to their snaps real quick, because I'm interested in this. It's not super easy to discern that. Maybe a little bit, but it's, I mean, he played strong all year long. Must have been a slight shift. And Savage was just back and forth every week. But anyways, the, the thought that I had, though, is... If we need a big play inside linebacker, what's the best way to go about it? And I had sent uh, Coach Hawn um, on the hunt to go look at Zayvon Collins to see what he thinks. That seems to be, based on what everybody is saying, the best available linebacker that's available when the Packers are picking. And he may already be gone anyways. He wasn't overly impressed in terms of what is required for um, what the Packers are going to be running specifically Tampa Two, now, the one guy that I'm willing to bet is and coach, if you get some time and you feel like it, Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa, I'm pretty sure he's going to be long gone, but if not, that i I would tend to believe is the guy now, a couple other questions number one, is it possible we already have the linebackers? I think no, I know Packer fans are real excited about our linebackers, as I've said. Despite all the excitement, and and if you don't like PFF, fine, you can make your own assessment, but make sure you go actually look at these guys and don't just get excited about them because you remember that one tackle, which was awesome. But PFF was not impressed, and even Matt LaFleur had said in an interview that he was not impressed with the linebacker play. Um, According to PFF, Kamal Martin was the only one that graded out somewhat adequately. Everybody else was basically really bad, including everybody's favorite, uh, Chris Barnes. Just looking at the overall yearly uh, summary here, Kamal Martin was the eighth-highest-graded player. He only graded out as a 68.5. There was only five guys with a good grade on the defense. Darnell Savage, Kenny Clark, Zadarius Smith, Adrian Amos, and Jair Alexander. Yes, Kenny Clark pulled it off. Guys that were close, Kingsley Kiki, Billy Wynn, Kamal Martin, Rashawn Gary, and uh, Stanford Samuels for his 13 snaps. But that was it. So Kamal Martin was up there. Primarily his coverage grade, which is really weird and also makes me think that maybe this is going to be kind of iffy because I really would be surprised if he ends up being a great coverage guy. But the next best linebacker, so Kamal Martin is eighth out of 32 defensive players total. The next linebackers are Christian Kirksey at 28th, Ty Summers at 30th, Chris Barnes at 31st, and Oren Burks at 32nd. Four of the five bottom players on our defense were four of our five linebackers. The only reason they they aren't all the worst is because Randy Ramsey was 29th. The five worst players, Christian Kirksey, Randy Ramsey, Ty Summers, Chris Barnes, and Oren Burke. So, no, I don't think we have the linebacker on our team, despite the love for really fast Chris Barnes, who had a 40 coverage grade, a 51 run defense grade, and a 56 pass rush grade. In terms of do I think Kamal Martin could be the guy, I really don't. Now, here's a thought that I had. If we think about it in Chicago Bears' terms, because we're talking Vic Fangio here. I think maybe Kamal Martin could be uh, like a Danny Trevathan, but we still got to find our Roquan. By the way, I've said this a thousand times, but I want to make sure you hear me. Danny Trevathan is Rashawn Gary's twin. Like, if you told me they were brothers, I'd be like, oh yeah, for sure they're brothers. So then the question, well, I shouldn't even say the question. The the concern I have is if... If it really is that important, if if it's to the point where this defense is good or bad, depending on whether or not you have this key linebacker, it's really not a question. And the draft is always a question, so what does that leave us? And I know this is not going to be, you know, a lot of eye rolls are coming. I think free agency is a very strong option. Again, depending on how actually important this is. Because I'm telling you right now, I don't think we got the guy on our roster. So how do we free up enough space to actually get in the black and have money for... Uh, the draft and also go out and get a free agent linebacker? I don't know, man. I know it's possible, and I do think that it's possible that part of that has to do with reworking Aaron Rodgers' contract. I wouldn't have said that last year. I think it's possible this year, like I've talked about in the past. I think it's, it's, it's now proven itself out. Aaron Rodgers has been unproven under the Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur era, which is, consists of two and one year, respectively. It just the, the concept just proved itself out last year with an MVP performance. So they're good. They, they got it figured out. I think they feel comfortable possibly reworking this contract to solidify him officially as the quarterback for the next several years. And that'll be able to free up some money. Again, extend Devontae. That'll free up some money. Aside from that, I, I can't really say because the other hard part is who stays and who goes largely depends on Joe Barry's assessment of our team. The other, for example... Tampa 2 is a lot of zone, which scares a lot of people because we play man, but here's here's something to a couple things to consider. I think man guys are the ones that are hard to find, right? The most coveted thing you can find in a corner is a great man-to-man cover guy because they're very few and far between. It's a lot easier to get a guy who's a great man coverage guy to play zone than it is to get a zone guy to play man. I'm not saying that it's not, you know, whatever, but Jair can play zone. Beyond that, though... As Coach Hawn illustrated, even in this kind of a scheme, having a great lockdown corner is important because you can play one guy in man. In other words, you can have a guy like Jair shut down their number one guy, sort of follow around their top guy, lock him down and play zone everywhere else. And that actually makes it a more lethal combination of what it is they do. So it's not really going to hurt Jair. They're going to put him in a position to win. The question is, does it help everybody else to play zone? Is there any chance that Josh Jackson kind of pops off? Probably not, but if he is a better zone cover guy, maybe. Remember, that was his whole thing in college. He played a lot of zone. It was some questions about whether or not he could ever play in a man defense, and he was just kind of a ball hawk. He drops into an area, he reads the quarterback, he makes a decision, and he get he got a you know thousand picks in college in a year. And maybe that was just a fluke and he's a bad football player, I don't know, but again, our new defensive coordinator has to analyze this, and we got Josh Jackson for one more year, so we don't have to get rid of him. also have to reanalyze King and all that stuff, but it's in, it'll be interesting to see what these other guys can do. The other important thing that Coach Holland had illustrated is that it actually protects your corners very much. That's not the right way to say that, but you get what I'm saying. It kind of keeps from your corners getting beat too bad. I, again, Think about Vic Fangio and and that defense and what I've been saying. The corners are not really that good. Look how good Kyle Fuller and Prince Mukamura were. Prince Mukamura had been in the league for like 13 years. He had his best year ever, ever. Kyle Fuller has never been that good of a corner. I know Bears fans hate hearing that. Oh, yes, he is. He's a great corner. Okay. Well, he's been bad to decent his entire career until Vic Fangio kind of, again, slowly got better, slowly got better. And then in that fateful year in 2018, he was war- him and Amukamura, I think, were both top 10 corners, which clearly is not the norm. But again, it's the scheme that kind of shields them. Got a lot of help from some athletic inside linebackers, or at least one. Some great play up front with some good pass rushers and some really, really good safeties. Again, the other thing that happened, they paid a ton of money for a safety that just killed it. Another component of this defense, supposedly, is that although it may be a little bit more difficult for the safeties, it allows them to kind of sit back and make plays. I think it could work wonders for a guy like Savage, who's got, you know, sideline to sideline speed, assuming they're ready to make that jump. And I think Adrian Amos is obviously an incredibly intelligent guy. Savage took a massive step in his understanding. Hopefully he doesn't have to unlearn everything. But one of the biggest reasons they were a dominant defense, look at the turnovers. There was a massive amount of turnovers, most of which by Eddie Jackson. The safety that got a billion dollars and then immediate re- immediately regressed when Vic Fangio left. It's actually almost interesting to me when you look at Denver and say, man, that defense just isn't quite what you thought it would be. They don't really have that linebacker. They haven't drafted him. They haven't done anything. Obviously, they have other needs elsewhere in other places. But, you know, you get back-to-back wide receivers. You get Drew Locke, the quarterback. Seems like the GM... Really wants to get the offense going and uh, kind of to heck with our defensive-minded head coach, I guess. I don't know. But again, it also just comes down to what's available. Was there a elite linebacker that would have absolutely gotten what they needed when they were drafting? Maybe not. don't really feel like investing the time to go look at it. But again, that's the problem. So after the break, I want to look at that other option known as free agency. I do have a few thank yous to uh, distribute here. I want to say thank you to Steve Gust, J.J. Leahy, Garrett Wensing, and Mark Strickland. Thank you for your support on Patreon. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you to all of you that have uh, supported me. And let me do something real quick. I've had a few people jump on Patreon and say that that link to the Patreon Discord has expired, so I'm going to create a new one right this second. So at the time you're hearing this, it should be a new link that you can use. So I'm going to do that. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. All right, the new link is up and ready to go. Um, Taking a look now at the inside linebacker list, obviously a lot of names, not sure. Um, that a lot of these names super excite me. (laughs) We've got at the top of the list 29-year-old Avery Williamson, linebacker for the, uh, let's see, most recently New York Jets, but he's bounced around a lot. Tennessee Jets, Pittsburgh Jets again. Bottom line, this ain't the guy. Um, if you're looking just for a guy that's going to be a, a run-stopper, cool. But um, this guy's going to have to be able to cover. Has to. Denzel Perryman was brought up to me um, by somebody a while ago. I, I I really liked Denzel coming out of college just because he's sort of a smash-you-in-the-mouth kind of a guy. This past year was a great year for him for the Chargers. Fantastic year. The problem is, he's never really had a year like this before. And um, I just would be worried that it was a little bit of a fluke, possibly having to do with either understanding the specific scheme, um, a couple of just really good games, good supporting cast, whatever, because generally speaking, he's a pretty mediocre linebacker. And his ability to cover has never been good with the exception of this year. And if we look at the specifics, he really just had three very good games and a bunch of pretty average games after that so he's not consistently very good in coverage although overall statistically he didn't do very poorly at all only 85 yards given up he gave up one touchdown had one pass breakup so he didn't get his hand on on the ball much but he didn't get killed either possibly again the scheme kind of protected him from that i don't really know but it just it kind of makes me worried because i don't think that's ever really been his thing he's he's at least out of college been more of a downhill kind of a guy then you got Jared Davis, the longtime linebacker, who's been a longtime really bad linebacker, so no thank you. There's B.J. Goodson, who we know and didn't do very well. There's Reuben Foster, that might excite some people because it's obviously a big name that, um, you know, because he's a great linebacker. The issue is character concerns slash injury concerns. So it's a really weird story that, I mean, there's a real thin layer of possibility that Ruben Foster is a great human being and a great athlete and he comes here cheap because of all the issues and just kills it. But that's a real thin possibility. First of all, Ruben Foster has played one year. Ascent well, two years technically I guess I don't know. In uh 2017 he was just lights out awesome. That was his rookie year. Twenty eighteen, not very good. He played weeks three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, and it was just kind of an abomination. But he was, you know, Six-one two twenty-eight, perfect package at linebacker. He fell in the draft because I think character slash injury concerns. I don't exactly remember, but there was a, he got arrested several times for issues with domestic violence. Now the point of this is all the charges were dropped. I don't know if those things happened and they got dropped because they you know money changed hands, or if the allegations were never true and people just keep making different false claims and getting them arrested. I don't know, but he's. He's had multiple allegations against him about domestic violence shortly after two women came out and said, no, we made it up. He was arrested again. The NFL did an investigation, said they couldn't find enough evidence to keep him suspended. So essentially, they, they allowed him to come back. There were also weapons charges and drug charges and a bunch of other stuff that makes it seem like this is not a great human being. I think he also had issues at the Combine where he, like, snapped at a doctor or something. So he just—even if he's not beating up women, which it seems like there's a chance he possibly is— well, you know, you know, women sometimes make that stuff up. That's true, sometimes. It's just weird that they all have decided to pick on this guy. There's a lot of people in the world that don't have allegations against him. I'm just saying. This guy's got like three different women. On top of, again, a known hothead with drug and weapons charges. But, you know, again, maybe it's all fake and he's a choir boy. Outside of that, once he got back in 2019, after several years of nonsense, he ended up tearing his ACL and he was out then he came back in 2020 and he got hurt again and he was out. So he has not really played a full year since 2017. He is a free agent again. He's not even quite 27 years old yet. I really really doubt the Packers are going to pull the trigger on Reuben Foster. I just I don't think so. I don't think they're going to look at this and say, "You know, that those two of those charges were dropped, so or one of the charges or whatever was dropped, so we're just going to let it go. He's probably great. Let's bring him in." When you factor the character issues and the extensive injury issues, ACL, MCL, LCL, all the CLs, you have to assume he lost a step. I just, I don't think so. I don't think so. Did he have all the tools to be in a longtime elite linebacker in the NFL? Yes. Did he kind of mess that up and also have a bunch of injuries? Yes. So I'm going to set that aside and say that's probably not going to happen. The point is, looking at the free agency list, there's really nothing here. So that brings us only really, well, two other options. One would be a trade, which would be kind of surprising. I, don't, I can't remember the last time the Packers had, like, a big-time trade or whatever for a, a player. But there's also the cap casualties, guys that are not technically free agents that could— end, like, for example, Preston Smith is not on any free agent list. Somebody else could end up getting them. Who are some of these potential cap casualties? Well, now we get some interesting names, one of which is a guy by the name of Jordan Hicks out of Arizona. 28 years old, 6'1", 236, ran a 4.68, third-round pick in uh, 2015. Now, he has fallen off drastically since going to Arizona. If you just look at what he produced the last two years, it's not great. However, he spent four years at Philadelphia and was a really, really, really good coverage linebacker. Clearly, he went to Arizona, and there was a change of, of pace, of scheme, of whatever, that didn't really suit what he was doing. His first four years, though, if you look at Philadelphia, and granted, not a very good run defender outside of 2018 when he was just all around pretty dominant, but we're talking 84, 91, 71, and 78 were his coverage grades. 2018 with Philadelphia, uh, 79 run defense, 86 tackling, 78 coverage, just pretty solid across the board. His first two years as a linebacker, he had seven interceptions and four pass breakups. He only allowed 266 yards as a rookie and 208 in uh, 2016. So again, it's going to come down to the evaluation of our new defensive coordinator, who, by the way, has spent his entire career as a linebacker's coach, to be able to assess, Is this? did this guy just completely fall off and he's no good, or did he just go to the wrong team? In other words, can we replicate what Philadelphia did to put him in a position to succeed or not? If so, I think this is an option. Now, again, that's assuming Arizona decides to cut him, but it's not that big of a... It wouldn't be that big of a surprise. This guy has been a terrible linebacker for Arizona. He's going to cost $9 million against the cap. He already cost $10.5 last year. He cost $9 million this year and $9 million next year. Now, they only save $3 million, But again, as I said, next year it's going to save them $9 million. So they save $3 million this year, $9 million next year to not have Jordan Hicks, and, and they already... Uh, drafted a linebacker last year, remember? They drafted Isaiah Simmons to be that guy, clearly because Jordan Hicks is not that guy. So I don't know. I don't know if that could be an option, but I, I do think it's possible Jordan Hicks ends up getting cut and the Packers possibly take a shot at Jordan Hicks. You've got a uh, relative unknown. Again, in my mind, I'm picturing a stud, so guys like this seem unlikely, but it's it's an option. Tyler Medakevich, Buffalo Bills linebacker, kind of flying under the radar. He's been with Pittsburgh for a long time, spent one year at Buffalo. He's been pretty decent for a seventh round pick. Now he doesn't play very much. He's just a rotational guy. So again, I doubt that he's going to be kind of a full-time guy, but he's, again, he's been pretty decent, especially in coverage the last two years. 6'1", 235. So he's got that kind of, he doesn't look like it. His picture looks like he's 280. It's mostly in his beard though, but that's kind of what you're looking for as much as in my mind, I'm still looking for that 1995 throwback linebacker. The 6'1", 235, thirty five two forty, you know, got some ability to move. Tends to be what you're looking for. So I don't, I don't think this guy can be the full time whatever. But it's an option for a very low priced rotational guy, I guess. A very popular name and a popular uh, guy in Miami. And I think he's one of those guys that a lot of people say is a good linebacker, but PFF doesn't like him. So it's just, it's, it's whatever you want to call it. But Jerome Baker, um, he fits the prototype. I mean, six two two fifteen is very small, but 453 speed. This guy is blazing, blazing, blazing fast. Now, again, I, I, I do the mock drafts, and I'm like, you guys need a linebacker because your linebackers suck. And they're like, oh, excuse me, have you ever heard of Jerome Baker, stupid? It's like, yeah, this guy's horrible. I don't know what you're talking about. But, again, there's a lot of questions about PFF's assessment of linebackers. Some people tend to like certain guys. Um... And it's also possible that they do fill a role. For example, if you look at Roquan, PFF isn't overly impressed with Roquan Smith, but it's entirely possible that defense falls apart without a guy like that on their roster just by virtue of what he's able to do and what he takes away in terms of your options. right? You can't do X, Y, and Z because of Roquan. And if you do it, he's going to stop it, and that's where he gets graded out well. Instead, it's going to force you to do other stuff. And maybe he's not super great at that, but whatever. Other people are going to handle that business. Just just throwing out possibilities. So Jerome could be one of those guys that ends up being a cap casualty, very popular name, blazing fast speed that could possibly fill a role that I look at and say, yeah, PFF doesn't like him, he's not doing a good job, but he's, again, filling a role. He's able to take away A, B, and C. His past year, he had 17 pressures, eight sacks. Eight sacks is a lot. It's incredibly high when you're talking about half of the time when you get to the quarterback, you're bringing him down. That's a lot for anybody. I mean, anybody with eight sacks. I don't care. I don't care what your grades are. I don't care any of that stuff. Eight sacks is massively impactful. There are teams that don't have anybody on their team with eight sacks. That's ridiculous. He had five sacks in his last four games: three against Kansas City, once against New England, once against Las Vegas, and then you know zero against Buffalo. But still, that's crazy. He allowed 400 yards, which isn't that terrible. Only one touchdown. He only had one pass breakup. But um, I don't know. It's in, it's intriguing. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the grades, and it's like, don't do it, don't do it. The run defense is terrible. But, again, if you're looking for the Roquan with Kamal being sort of the Trevathan, it might be able to work out. Jerome at 215, 453 speed, is he the guy that can drop into that deep middle zone? Yeah, I think he is. I don't know. Again, PFF hates him. I think it could be an option just because what we're looking for is a linebacker with a skill set that a lot of linebackers don't have. A lot of human beings don't necessarily have that skill set. Jerome does. Is he any good at it? I don't know. But it's just a thought. And I'm going to caution people to not be too excited if we get Jerome Baker, but I'm also going to try to not be too pessimistic about it because I think he could still be an important piece in terms of doing what a lot of people just can't do. Another option is Mr. Anthony Barr. Remember, we're not talking about a trade. We're talking about a team trying to fix their cap situation by cutting somebody and us giving somebody a phone call that is a free agent and saying, hey, how would you like to come play for the Packers? Now, do I think that he would be welcomed with with open arms? Not necessarily, but maybe. Again, I've been critical saying he's not very good, but at 6'5", 255, 466 speed, that's pretty solid. The guy only played two games this whole year. Never really graded out well as a coverage guy. In fact, in 2019, he gave up 586 yards and three touchdowns, which is pretty bad. He's also going to be 29 years old, which isn't old, especially if we're just looking for a stopgap, but it's kind of, eh, but it's an option. And that brings us to probably the most popular option, the guy that fits the criteria of what I'm describing perfectly. Somebody that I've said has been massively overrated, however, again, fills that role. It's a guy by the name of Quan Alexander. Again, he has never gotten even a competent grade ever. His highest PFF grade was a 68.5, played in Tampa Bay for four years. But the point is, he's a guy that is just terrible against the run, is, I mean, 227, 455 speed. He's pretty fast, can cover a lot of ground. And in terms of, I mean, what he did for San Francisco this year, he didn't do anything. But with New Orleans, who picked him up toward the second half of the year, the team that has no ability to pay Quan Alexander, so he's basically 100% going to be cut. He actually did okay. In seven weeks, he gave up uh, 126 yards. The worst game in terms of yardage is week 14 against Philly. He gave up 41 yards. He gave up one touchdown in that stretch, had four pass breakups, 97.4 passer rating when targeted. He does have a big pile of missed tackles, 22 tackles, seven misses. That's not great. Again, this is not his thing. He's not a good run defender. He's not a good tackler. He's a coverage linebacker, and that's it. And again, I don't like that. I've never liked that. The NFL seems to love that. Guys like Quan Alexander get paid lots of money. And I would not be quiet about how stupid I thought San Francisco was for giving him so much money. But he got a bunch of money. And really, the uh, apparently, he had an ankle injury. So that even kind of hinders if you look at what he did in San Francisco that wasn't going very well. Um, he was kind of battling through some stuff with his ankle. The Saints made a trade to go get him. So he wasn't cut or anything. They traded. They gave uh, the 49ers uh, Kiko Alonso, the linebacker, and a conditional fifth round pick to get Quan on their team. Quan hadn't done much for San Francisco. San Francisco's season was in the tank, and Quan was injured, and they're like, all right, whatever. You take him. You take this contract. We don't want it. So the Saints took him on because they're obviously going all in. They're on the opposite end of the spectrum as San Francisco. So, again, I I don't necessarily get it, but there's a lot of teams out there looking at guys like Quan, saying, I don't care if the guy can tackle. He can fly around a football field, and I dig that. All right, whatever. And, again, I don't know if that's what we're looking for. I know that the NFL loves that. I know that this linebacker has to cover, and I know that it's incredibly difficult to find a guy that can cover and play against the run. There's like three guys that can do that. They're never going to get traded. You got to draft those guys. And again, we could try, but there's no guarantee that there are any in this draft class, much less anyone that's going to be available when the Packers pick. So I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but it is interesting. I do think for the first time in a long time, we're going to prioritize linebacker because it's not a Packers thing. It's a, I mean, it could be, it could be to some degree saying that we don't really think it's a good value. But if you have a defensive coordinator saying, no, 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 you don't understand. If you want to have a good defense, we need a linebacker, period. There's no way Brian Gutekunst looks at him and says, it's just not the Packer way. That's not going to happen. No way. So anyways, I got to get going. Um, it'll be interesting. I'm glad we can finally start 2021 and, and start looking into this stuff and a whole bunch of rumors. Again, a lot of it is, is nonsense, but I, I, I just, I'm starting to really love that it's the offseason again. Because this is when things really start to pick up. This is when things really just get interesting. You know, building your team happens now. Trying to run the team as it is is just take what you got and do what you can and call a good play and throw a good pass, and there you go. Hey, we did it or we didn't do it, and that's about it. This this is the, the part of the season that sets you up for the year and for the next five years and where careers are made and broken. This is huge, man. The draft, free agency... Plus all the drama. Love the drama. So much stuff going on behind the scenes. So many big players about to, so, many, so much big news about to happen. I'm super excited. Very excited. I don't know how you cannot like the offseason. It's amazing. Now, after the draft, it dries up and it gets kind of horrible. But this time of year, oh, oh, beautiful. But you folks have yourselves a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.